Welcome back to FunViews Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Pops. Today's guests are Ruth Admundsen and Alden Klenthus. Ruth is an engineer spending most of her career at NASA, and Alden runs a digital art company and has always advocated for clean air, clean water, and environmental awareness. These two rock stars combined efforts to launch Norfolk Solar Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund. Norfolk Solar installs solar at no cost to local businesses and nonprofits. The owner of the building gets the benefit of the free solar electricity after the system payoff period of about seven years, while investors get to reap the rewards of a tax break on capital gains and modest investment returns. Ruth and Alden are continuously building into new markets and are building a team of like-minded individuals to tackle solar installation at a national level. Alden and Ruth, thank you so much for joining me on FundViews Podcast. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. So to start, Alden, uh, we'll start with you. Tell me about your background. Where did you grow up? What did you do for a living? And and tell me, what's, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> so I grew up in Hampton Roads. This area is known to be transient. We have a lot of military and a lot of colleges here and universities. So most people aren't from here, but I am from here. My parents were from here. Um, so makes me sort of unique. I went to Old Dominion University and got a degree in environmental management, but I run a design and marketing animation and illustration studio with my husband. That's mostly what I do. And on the side, I work as an independent contractor on environmental issues. And I have a lot of favorite movies, but the one I can never pass up if it's on is The Notebook. The Notebook. That's, <laughs> that's a great movie. Who doesn't love The Notebook? A good glass of red yeah. wine and a try, you know, it makes yes. everyone feel better. Yeah. Uh, great. So, Ruth, same question. Um, where'd you grow up? What'd you do for a living? And of, of course, what's your favorite movie? So I grew up in Ann Arbor, which is the hometown for University of Michigan. And then I decided not to stay there. And I went west and got my bachelor's in physics at Stanford, um, ended up going back to Michigan for grad school. And for a living, I'm an engineer. I've been an aerospace engineer for 36 years. And the last 30 of it has been at NASA, which I really love. Um, favorite movie? Lots of them also. I really love the Star Wars series and the Harry Potter series, mainly because I've watched it with my kids 50,000 times. But I guess for me, the thing that has the most impact for me, this is really old and embarrassing, is the movie Hair. Hair, okay. That's a different one. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely the Harry Potter series is, uh, you know, I, I feel like I watch the entire series two or three times a year. But uh, uh, it's a classic. So... Um, Alden, I guess, uh, it seems like you're always, you know, with, with the environmental impact side of things, you're always trying to make the world a better place. Was there, um, was there a specific point in your life that kind of triggered that or, or, a, or an event or, or were you always kind of looking to help people? You know, that's not the first time I've been asked that question. And I would say there was two points. Um, one influence was my grandmother. She never let us exist in this world without making an impact. I remember as a small child, she would take us to the park and she would make us spend 20 minutes cleaning up the litter before she let us play. Um, so that was sort of always there. And then after I got into this work from the wetland ecology side, um, I almost lost my son. At nine months old, he spent a week in the hospital. And uh, about six weeks after we came home, I got a letter from the city saying during the time that he was sick and almost died, our water was contaminated. Oh. And that's sort of changed my passion and drive for this work. 
Yeah, that that would definitely put things in perspective. And it's it's like timing is everything, right? And and you know, a couple different events happening all at once kind of sometimes can push you one one way or the other. Absolutely. Uh, great. And so, Ruth, with your background in Stanford and Michigan, did did you always think you'd grow up to work for NASA, or was there kind of, were you kind of figuring it out along the way and and um, putting the pieces together? I mean, I definitely did a lot of figuring out along the way. I really loved physics. And, you know, obviously, I'm probably not using a lot of that now. But I think Stanford physics, the thing that did for me is teach me that if a problem looks impossible, if you keep working at it, you might be able to solve it. Even if other people tell you it's not possible, you know, it, it really just gives you confidence if you can sit there and grind away for a problem at seven hour, for seven hours and, and solve it. Um, I just always love science fiction and the idea of going into space. I put my application in to be an astronaut as soon as I legally could. I was just always fascinated with other planets. So I always wanted to work for NASA. Um, I started out as a contractor that did NASA work and then uh, moved from there to actually be at NASA. And I really love it. Um, I just love launching things into space and the idea of us having another frontier. Um, Seems like a seems like a big area lately, um, both in the in NASA side and the private side as well, with Elon and and SpaceX and kind of bringing it more to the forefront. Which is, I think it's good for everyone. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think it's good for the whole industry. I think it's great. It's wonderful yeah. to see some commercial application and some companies taking this on. I think Elon Musk is a huge asset to aerospace in general, just as being a huge character who brings a lot of publicity to it, and also. A genius. Um, yeah. 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 He's definitely an, an interesting and, and different personality. So tell me about the um, origins of, is it Norfolk Solar? Um, and how did you two connect? Uh, I've heard the story already, but for the listeners, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, it's pretty winding. Um, I'd put solar on my house and then um, our kids go to a large school and I led a group of parents that put solar on the, the roof of that school. Um, it was about 600 kilowatts of solar. So it was pretty big. And just as we got that done, I happened to get five weeks off because of the government shutdown. So sort of looking around for something to do. And the Sierra club who loves solar sort of trotted me around to different places to give presentations on solar. And at so I was presenting about how to finance solar. And at one of them, I was asked why I wasn't included, including qualified opportunity zones in what I was talking about and, and ways to finance. And I had never heard of them. So I admitted that and then went home and looked them up. And it turns out they're a way to um, take your capital gains and invest them in under-resourced communities and get a tax advantage from it. And as it happens, also serendipitously, um, our family had gotten some capital gains from a family business at that same time. So we decided to form a fund that would put in solar in under-resourced communities um, using our capital gains. And that was great. Now it's rocking, writing the legal agreements, having a good time. And then the government went back to work. And all of a sudden, I had a full-time job and was trying to run this large fund and work out how to do it legally. And it, I just couldn't do it. So I started looking for help. And I had met Alden several times in different, we're both part of many similar groups and I'd, I'd met her, but I hadn't thought of her in this, um, in this position. And I was reaching out to another group I'm part of a, called Mothers Out Front. And someone there just said, hey, 
you need to think about Alden. She could really solve this for you. And so I sent her a quick email, you know, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And literally 10 minutes later, she called me back and she's just bursting with ideas. Oh, we could do this. We could do this. This would be great. Let's do this. And uh, so it's been a great partnership. And it was just a a long uh, random walk sequence of how we connected and formed it. Great. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because like the the um, the amount of passion that you put into something always makes the ride more fun. And, there, you know, it's like whether it's environmental, whether it's your work or your personal life or whatever, if if there's something you're really excited about, you can't help but like want to talk about it and want to build it and want to, you know, share ideas. So I definitely, definitely get that side of it. So, so how is the, um, obviously there's a huge impact to the community. How, how was that uh, resonated with, with the community members and after you've kind of been through that, that first, um, first couple projects? I think the the folks, the the businesses and churches that have gotten solar really love it. And they've become our most passionate advocates. Um, you know, they'll put us on Facebook, they speak about us at meetings, and they'll call their friends and say, hey, you should do this. Um, so I think there's been a great impact. And I think um, the impact of hiring people in the opportunity zones to be solar installers has a huge impact um, for the community as far as giving them exposure to an entirely new um, employment field. And so I feel like those solar installers that we've trained are, are inspired and hopefully taking that information and attitude back to their community and, and helping develop it. So um, I think we've been fairly small so far because we've only done eight installations. So there's probably still a lot of people that don't know about us, but where we have had impact, I think there's been a lot of positive feedback. Good. And so, um, Alden, is there, is there any plans in the future of expanding out? I know you, you said you're focused on, on more in Virginia. Um, you know, are you expanding that same philosophy or, or how has that, that plan been evolving? Well, we operate solely in Virginia because solar is based on state law. So there's sort of a, a hiccup in leaving Virginia and that we now have to learn an entire new state's laws and they are incredibly different um, state to state. And we want to focus on using local installers who will hire local residents. If we had worked with a national installation company, then maybe we would have been able to jump states quicker. Uh, but we do consult with anyone who wants to consult with us. And we have consulted with people across the country and in Puerto Rico. And we're looking, we were just talking about this earlier today, at maybe having a webinar where we walk through our model directly with interested investors and investment firms and solar businesses to see if they can start offering this outside of us. That sounds really interesting. And we, we actually, um, on my day job working for Glide, we actually just had our first webinar a week ago. Uh, that I hosted with our with one of our fund managers that we just uh, just approved on the platform. Um, I, I can tell you, it's easy. It looks easier than it is, but it, it's very rewarding at the same time. And and if you um, record it and edit it properly, it can be rewatched and re listened to. Uh, you know, it's, it's content. It's like this, right? Once it's out there, you can't you can't put it back in the box, um, which which yeah. is a good thing. Um, great. So. What was the process like of of convincing uh, people to actually invest? Were were they were they asking more about the returns, or were they focused on the impact, or both? And and you know what was that like? Oh, uh, so to begin with, um, everybody thought it was a scam. That was that was 
what do you mean you can give me solar for free? So, so we had to get past that. And I think the hardest part was getting the, the first installation, you know, because once you have one, then you have an advocate who's like, yeah, this works. I'll talk to anybody you want. I'm so excited. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of mistrust, as you would expect, in these disadvantaged communities when someone comes in and says they're going to offer you something for free. Um, and it, that's still a hard uphill climb, even though we've done so many installs. It's still a process. And it's a trust process, honestly, of meeting both Ruth and I in a lot of long conversations. But um, outside of that, Ruth, what do you have to add? Well, I agree with the trust issue for convincing sites to do solar. As far as trying to convince investors to come on with us, I think um, most of them, although they're interested in the social and environmental impact, I think most of them are still really fundamentally interested in returns. And we have to Mm -hmm. impress on them that we're not going to be like investing in a hedge fund. You're not going to make 20% return on this. Um, You have to partly be interested in helping the community and making social gains. Um, But I think you can make at least a reasonable return you know, after taxes uh, and and beat inflation, but most investors you have to you have to calm them down that they're not going to make something like a hedge fund. They have to also be interested in the social impact. Yeah, that's and that's I think an interesting. Have, have you spoken to any um, any foundations or endowments? I feel like they'd be a, a prime uh, candidate or prime advocates for for more more of an investment in this space. I mean, we have spoken to several of them for just a regular foundation that most of them are nonprofit, so they can't they can't do it. They can get their investors interested, but they can't take advantage of it because you have to be able to take advantage of the tax breaks. That makes sense, um, yeah. But we have yeah. um, one of the things Alden was talking about where like we'd love to have a more national framework, so it's not just us in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we've tried to get foundations interested in is maybe funding that national framework. And looking for some larger national framework where there could be groups like us in many states that are doing this, but the financial and legal framework exists at a national level. Yeah, that makes sense. It's taking the model that you already know works in in a larger scale, but um, you know, obviously, you still have day jobs, so you don't wanna, <laughs> you don't want to spend all of your time to do it, and, and you can teach people and build from there. Yeah. Um, Great. So, so what's the biggest challenge you've had to face thus far? I mean, outside of the convincing the uh, the residents that it's a good idea and that you're not out to to scam them. For me personally, it sounds really minor, but it's been taxes. Um, the opportunity zone legislation is just unbelievably complicated, and I have done my own taxes for thirty years, and I literally cannot do them now. And my kids can't do their own taxes because I involved them in this family fund. And it's physically not possible to do them in TurboTax anymore. So I have to hire an accountant, which really um, I find very irritating. And I also find irritating the fact that I have to look through a thousand pages of taxes to review my own taxes. I I really think that um, the Opportunity Zone legislation could be streamlined such that that wouldn't be the case. Um, And then I think in addition to the trust issue is just um, finding investors that that want to invest in this model. Yeah, that makes sense. So from the from the tax standpoint, I, I can tell you, I haven't I haven't read through the tax was it Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, that was passed in 2017 that that had this opportunity zones in it. Um, but I've heard there's 
pros and cons, right? There's the pro is that there's people like you using it for for good and going out there and, and helping communities and in a way that you couldn't do it without the without the tax cuts. But um, but you know there's cons in, in that there's uh, you know places like golf courses and and malls like Aventura Mall close by to to me. Um, you know it's a high end, very high end mall, and somehow is an opportunity zone. Uh, it just it's it's kind of convoluted and and a little bit and obviously you know the intentions are good but um in practice that i think might be one of the problems yeah i think there's definitely some misuse and i think a lot of people got their own personal pork barrel into that legislation which is one of the reasons it's so long um and i I think there should be some more oversight to make sure that that money is actually doing good and i think that an idea we had should be included um, we hire op- uh, opportunity zone residents to mm-hmm. do some of the work. And that I think is a, a huge benefit that could really be used for any opportunity zone investment, whether you're buying property or making a renovation or doing solar, you could require that people have to offer employment to some of the people in that opportunity zone. So you're helping with workforce development um, and helping the folks economically as, as well. Yeah, I've I've actually seen one other group, um, the Miami Innovation District, they're calling it, um, which is a huge undertaking in a opportunity zone in Miami. Uh, but part of that whole project that I, I don't think it's even started yet, um, uh, from a from a construction standpoint, um, is that once it's constructed, all of the uh, workers at the restaurants proposed and the bars and this and that all have to be opportunity zone. Um, uh, uh, people like people that live there. So, um, I mean, I've seen other people doing that, which is good. Um, but I, I love that idea because it, it's like, you know, you can give, uh, someone a windfall of like, okay, here's free solar. Or here's, um, you know, we'll buy your house at three times what it's worth or, or something like that. But then there's still going to be a square one at some point. And, you know, rather than if you teach them a skill, like how to install solar, that's, a skill that's going to be in high demand, I think, in the next 20, 25 years. It's one so. of the fastest growing job markets currently is solar installation. Yeah, I know. And, you know, back in Canada, where I'm, where I'm from, I, I know a few friends that, um, that, you know, didn't really go on to post-secondary and out of high school, they became solar installers and were making a killing, like a ton <laughs> of money. I mean, it, it's, it's, such high demand and so specific and so niche and, and such a different, um, skill set that's needed. So yeah, maybe that's the future of coal miners and <laughs> are going to move, move and become solar installers. Definitely. Yeah. A little less dirty too. And uh, on top of that, I'll say one of the other challenges we've had with investors is that we aren't a fund management company. We're a deployment vehicle for people who already have an existing OZ fund. So we've had several large investors call us who were interested, but they kind of just wanted to write a check and walk away. And we don't operate like that. Um, And so that's been sort of a difficult hurdle where we've had a number of investors who would like to support our work, but we don't have the framework to manage their funds. And we haven't had a fund management group be willing to partner with us and do that. Interesting. So, I mean, if you had an actual fund vehicle that was managed by a professional fund manager, it would help, right? In, in, in growing this thing, especially if you're growing outside of Virginia. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's an interesting piece as well. So, so what do you think could be improved outside of, um, you know, obviously hiring local talent 
Um, is there anything else policy-wise that you think could be improved to promote solar power, um, you know, outside of opportunity zones just to promote, um, you know, solar panel installation? I think there's a lot you could do. You could make some changes to tax policy, keeping the tax breaks that we have right now. You could use all the oil and gas subsidies to fund keeping those tax breaks for decades. Um, Also, there's this weird requirement when you take the tax credit for financing a solar installation, you can only take that tax credit against passive income. They could get rid of that so you could take it against any kind of income. That was a huge issue with trying to find the parents to fund the school solar. Everybody wanted to do it, but nobody had passive income. Hmm. Um, and then I think there's also national policies you could you could uh, put in place. What we've already talked about, where having a national structure um, doesn't have to be opportunity zone related, but a national pool where you do renewable financing um, using either private wealth or find- foundation wealth. Um, and then I think eliminating, making like federal legislation that would eliminate state barriers. So right now, states can make their own laws about who can finance solar with a power purchase agreement, which is the most common way to finance solar. And every state has different laws about it. So in Virginia, power purchase agreements are not legal for certain types of installations, and there's limits on them. So you could eliminate all those state barriers, you could eliminate caps on renewable, you could eliminate PPA caps. um, And you know, ultimately, at some point, we'd really like to add the externalized cost to the cost of energy so that when you burn a watt of oil, you're paying for all the damage that that is doing to health, to environment, you know, everything that that's doing and and really price energy. And that would make solar price way better than than fossil fuel formats. And then I'd like to see more resources for communities. Um, to me, we should have something like Energy Star which is a federal uh, you know, organization that helps people understand how to buy a refrigerator that's going to use less energy. We should have something like that for solar information so that then localities would have that information um, to help people that want to do solar that could give them that resource. And then I also think localities should have some group that, that helps promote solar rather than just volunteers like us so people can see an example home, talk to owners, and really understand the reality of it and feel more comfortable with it. Everybody knows how to buy a refrigerator, but most people don't understand how to buy a solar panel. Um, And then I'd love to see us do, there's several states that are doing programs where they do home energy efficiency retrofits in low-income communities. So you go in and make those homes more energy efficient. Obviously, that's even cheaper than solar. An electron you can save is cheaper than one you're getting from a solar panel. So, so do that in those communities and, and install solar if you can as well. But um, having those programs, because that ends up saving more and improving the carbon footprint more than anything else, just to go into those communities and, and help their homes be more efficient. Yeah, so I, it, sorry, go ahead, Holt. Well, I was going to say on top of that, there's a lot of limitations to um, individual solar ownership. We had um, a large company in Norfolk call us who's got a 50,000 square foot warehouse and he wanted to cover his whole roof in solar panels. And the first thing I said to him was, well, is it climate controlled? And he said, no. And I said, well, in the state of Virginia, I can only install as much solar as you use. So I can't cover your whole roof. And he said, no, 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 no. I want to cover my whole roof and I want it to be an income source for me. And I said, well, Legally, you can't you can't do that. And even if you did do that, there's no requirement that the utility buy that energy from you at any rate. 
they can give you a credit on your bill, but you're never going to see an income from that. And he said, that can't possibly be true. This is a man that's been in business for 50 years. And I said, no, sir, I promise you this is true. So to him, he saw the possibility of a future income stream, which would help shore up his business, diversify the local energy grid, and all of that currently is stifled by law. And being able to give that back to those communities, can you imagine if I could come in and give free solar to a homeowner and say, 12 years from now, when you own this, it's going to be an income stream that's going to help lift you and your family out of poverty. But they can't. The law won't allow that right now. Do you think that's um, lobbyists and, and the you know generic energy sources that are kind of pushing to make sure that that doesn't happen? I mean, yes and no. At the end of the day, they own all the infrastructure. So they have to protect what they're responsible for. So they need to maintain control of the grid in order to protect their investment and what they're responsible for. But there has to be a middle ground somewhere where we can meet so that people can be more in control of their own income, their own energy generation. And we don't entirely put the power companies that control our infrastructure out of business, right? There has to be somewhere in the middle where we can meet. Yeah, like, uh, like, if you're selling energy back, like solar energy back, not as a credit, then you somehow have to pay for that infrastructure as a tax on top of it to the, right. to the you know, utility company, obviously, for right. using their infrastructure. Right. So that would make sense to you. Right. So maybe you don't get it at fair market value, but you get it at half of fair market value. That's still an income stream. And, and for the utility company, they don't have to continuously build, uh, you know, more power plants all over the place. They, they can they can focus on, you know, sustainable uh, energy, uh, which yeah. is I'm surprised that the utility. Well, I'm sure they probably have, but I'm, I'm surprised that they aren't building more building into more solar uh, energy, you know, in a faster rate, um, given that obviously it's it's sustainable and they can you know make this income over the years yeah yeah it's interesting but you know we don't know what all their internal dialogue conversations are no we'll we'll never know who the the wizard of oz master behind the curtain is right and (laughs) there's all these all these uh things happening behind the scenes i'm sure but uh yeah so so what do you think the future holds for um for for you two, uh, do you want to? I, I know you've you're building this nationally. Are you are you actively looking for partners to do that, or are you um, are you uh, ever planning on this being your full time job as opposed to your part time job, or vice versa? Go ahead, Ruth. I mean, I would really love to see it go national, and if we if it did and we got a bunch of investors or we got a national platform, I would see it being my full-time job. I would give up NASA to do this full-time. Um, I, and, you know, I think we're just playing it one day at a time. Yes. We're looking for investment par- partners, either, you know, small, like we have right now where we're just in, investing with one person at a time and deploying their funds. Or if we could get a larger fund that would, that would go after more investors, I, we would love to do either of that. And we'd love to, help other states set up something, um, something similar, but we're just taking it one day at a time and seeing which, which efforts of ours bear fruit and, uh, and which ones we can uh, make happen. I mean, we've had some really weird ones. Like we wrote a white paper on how to put um, solar on all the VA hospitals in this area. And there's an amazing amount of VA hospitals in Hampton roads, heavily, Mm -hmm. heavily military, and they have beautiful roofs for solar. They're all flat. They're not shaded. 
Um, so there's, you know, weird ones like that, that, that might, uh, come to fruition someday. Yeah. At the very least it opens the dialogue, right. With everyone. Yeah. Um, great. So I guess, uh, one last question for you guys, what advice would you give someone who's looking to make a difference, but doesn't necessarily have the means. So they, you know, I hear a lot of the time and even, you know, a couple of years ago when I was, um, you know, I, I, I always like to try and give back, but being that I was young and starting a career, I don't have extra cash to invest in things um, to make a difference on on that side. Um, what advice would you give for someone that that really wants to wants to give back and wants to get involved in the solar uh, solar cycle? Time is the easiest investment you can make. If you don't have money, you can give time. Uh, when I first graduated from college, it was in the economic crash of two thousand and eight, and there were no environmental jobs to be had. So I volunteered everywhere that I could. And um, I just actually this past Wednesday finished out the last of those commitments between the five committees I served on. I gave 23 years of service to my city and eight and a half years. And uh, yeah, yeah. And but I feel like I made a difference in so many different aspects, both in renewable energy and environmental standards and air quality and uh, across the board. So if you don't have the time, if you don't have the money, you can always find the time. Even if it's, you know, I have an hour and a half on Thursday evenings. I promise you, you can find somebody that would love that hour and a half on Thursday evenings. Yeah, that's a definitely, definitely good advice. Well, thank you both so much for, for joining the FunViews podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time and I look forward to listening to the webinar. And for our uh, listeners, I'll be sure to um, post uh, a link on our social media platforms when, uh, when the webinar goes live and, and uh, so you can all listen in. Thank, thank you so Greg. much. Thank you, Greg. Thanks. And that's all for today's episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share with friends, family, and colleagues to further support FunViews podcast. Until next time, 